it's a love and a passion. And for me, it's kind of a curiosity because <laughs> I feel like I'm barely even just touching my potential. And for me, it's a curiosity of how far can I take it? Like, how far can I go? And for me, I mean, like we talk about our, our life's purpose in a way. I, I do feel like my life purpose is in the industry of health and fitness. And that's, we talked about earlier, the zone of genius. I feel like my zone of genius is in health and fitness. I mean, I've been doing this since I was eight years old and I love it. And I do feel like this is where my, my gift is this and I want to service humanity with it. That's, that's a lesson I've learned in the past years is this is my gift and I need to make my leap in, to be in it. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we're on a mission to create a better world. One of the most powerful aspects of being committed to this mission is connecting with people who are dedicated to the same. These connections always come so effortlessly, and that is always true for this podcast. It's never a hectic hunt for guests. I simply relax, and I ask the universe, bring us the guests we are here to share. Of course, we need to take action in life. That is for sure. But what is also certain is that alignment is the boss. If we are hectic, worried, or hurried in life, we will attract more experiences that reinforce that alignment. And moving from those energies not only compromises our ability to enjoy life, but it seriously compromises our health. As science has proven, like attracts like, and that's why it's critical to train our minds, a process that begins with utilizing the perfect tool of breath. Today, we are so grateful to be sitting in person with professional triathlete, coach, and scientist Isaac Diaz, and this episode is a sure result of the laws of energetic alignment. Isaac's mission within his work in the world is to positively transform lives through sport and help bring humanity to a higher state of consciousness. He is an avid practitioner and teacher of pranayama, or exercises to control the breath. This powerful practice leads to the management of life force, which is the vibrant energy that moves our breath. He uses this discipline to increase vitality in the whole person, ultimately leading to optimal performance in sport and life. And like all authentic teachers, he is practicing what he teaches as he moves closer to his highest expression. Believing that we live in a universe of growth, Isaac is always looking for the next step, and this year he moved from elite age group athlete to the professional ranks. Last month, he placed 11th at Ironman 70.3 St. George in what he calls a nice breakthrough performance, and only days ago, he announced that he will dial it up to the full distance in a few weeks at Ironman Coeur d'Alene. Isaac has been on our radar for a while now, but today just feels like the most divine timing for this conversation, and we just need to dive in. And Isaac, welcome to our home and welcome to the show. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> I'm excited. It's good to have uh, Isaac here. I think the first ride we did together, uh, I think it was the King's Loop. And yeah. you were like, oh, Yogi, like, I think I listened to your podcast, um, which always blows me away when people come up and say that. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. Um, so let's just dive right in. Your account uh, on Instagram was Run for Prana. Right, right. Um, <laughs> And we're going to talk a lot about breath here today, but where were the first, where was that first introduction for you with the, with the awareness of what prana was and how it, mm. how it became a focus of yeah. your life? Oh, for me, it started around senior year of college, actually. I had a good friend of mine, his name's Eric, and we started doing Wim Hof breathing together. He kind of introduced me to the Wim Hof breathing and together we just explored breath. And from that, I 
I fell in love with it and I explored it. And yeah, I think around when I was in Boulder, I kind of discovered Oxygen Advantage. I'm wearing their shirt right now. And yeah, I discovered actually the power of carbon dioxide. And yeah, we can talk about that later. But uh, pranayama is all about controlling the breath and regulating the carbon dioxide in your body. And that's where the run for prana came from. Because for me, prana is life force. So for me, run for prana, you're moving towards life force. Mm. And that's where I see kind of endurance sports is you're kind of moving towards life force. When you first were introduced to the Wim Hof, was there any like... Like, how is this going to help performance? Was there any, like, chatter about um, the buy-in for it? Mm, for me, the first experience was amazing. Like, I don't even know how to describe it, but my friend showed it to me, and it was kind of a period of, like, actual, like, pure ecstasy. I don't even know how to describe it, but, uh, yeah, it was amazing. And from there, I was hooked. Like, I realized, like, wow, breath work is powerful. And from there, I just was practicing daily. <laughs> the oxygen advantage, what is that exactly too? Yeah, so uh, oxygen advantage is, uh, it started by Patrick McKeon and it kind of mirrors uh, this practice by, um, it was this Russian doctor, Boteko, and it's all about kind of lowering your breathing rate to increase your carbon dioxide in your body. Uh, so I guess to kind of put it into more scientific terms, so you have chemoreceptors in your brain and they sense the carbon dioxide in your body. And it's not the oxygen in your body that tells you when to breathe. It's actually the increase in carbon dioxide that stimulates your desire to breathe. And as yogis, you know that breathing inside increases your sympathetic nervous system and exhaling is parasympathetic. And by kind of lowering your breathing rate, you naturally become a calmer person. So <laughs> by increasing your carbon dioxide tolerance, you're actually going to naturally allow your body to breathe less, and thus you will become a calmer person. It's that simple. Yeah, it's that simple. It does take practice, but it's that simple, carbon dioxide. <laughs> what do you think the benefit is? Let's talk about athletes specifically. What's the benefit of an athlete that is calm? Mm, well, number one that comes to mind is recovery. I mean, we live in a society with so many stressors, uh, so many things barraging us, emails, work. If you're able to stay calm, you're going to recover much faster. I mean, when cortisol goes up, testosterone goes down, um, disease occurs. So you want to lower cortisol in order to improve uh, recovery. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) And for you, what have you experienced in life from it? Um, Just how you move through the world? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, for me, it's been very gradual. I do think my breathing rate has decreased, but for me, it's kind of just an interest of the pranayama in a way. Like for me, it's like a meditative practice, and I do think that it improves meditation. Like in my opinion, with meditation, if your breathing rate is erratic, you're not going to be able to quiet your mind. So for me, I think it's really deepened my meditation practice, and I kind of think it improves my confidence because as an athlete, you always want to think, what's my edge over the competition? And for me, I think breathing is my edge. I mean, there's many different edges we have, but for me, that's one one of my arsenal, weapons in the arsenal. <laughs> oh my gosh, absolutely, 100%. Because if, if we're not, if we don't have that life force control or management and our two, 
have tuned ourselves to calmness, just the energy expenditure from worry or panic or comparison energy, those types of things, like all of that is a stressor, like you said. So cortisol Mm. goes up, testosterone goes down. And I think what people miss is like hormones, the hormonal system works off of one another. So if one's off, they're all off. And so calmness will bring everything into balance. Our meditation teacher says, um, you know, when you're calm, when we're calm, we're invincible. 100%. (laughs) Yes. No, I love that. No. Yeah. I I do like, in my opinion, like I feel like endurance athletes, a large proportion actually have uh, poor breathing habits. And I think as like endurance athletes, we should aim to have the best breathing habits in order to, because ideally we want, we do endurance sports to increase our vitality, right? And I think there's kind of a propensity to overtrain and kind of just, in a sense, just no pain, no gain. But I think ultimately with this breathing, we want to increase our vitality. What would be considered poor breathing? Like as an athlete, Mm. if they don't even, let's be honest, a lot of people aren't even aware of that they breathe. You know, yeah. just bringing attention to breath is is a profound thing. But what is what would you consider to be poor breathing, or the, the breathing where they could um, uh, seek opportunity to increase and get mm. better? So there's a couple couple things. One is mouth breathing. So if you're constantly mouth breathing, that's a sign that you don't have proper foundational breathing. So you want to have your tongue resting on the top of your palate and breathing nose breathing. Most of the time, unless if you're doing very high intensity exercise, uh, another one is chest breathing. If you're constantly like you're breathing and your shoulders are going up and down, that's another sign that you don't have proper breathing. And there's another test called the Bolt Score, which will kind of tell you where you are at in terms of uh, your overall breathing efficiency. So essentially, you exhale, and from that exhale, you hold your breath. And on the first desire to breathe, it's a very distinct, like kind of a tightening in your throat, if it's below 25 seconds, that kind of tells you there's some work to be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I think the we do a lot of like take a breath in, hold the breath, but we don't practice holding the breath out. Mm. And I, I also think that holding the breath out, because you have you have like this hit of like the body's empty of the oxygen and it's like, we need a breath and we need a breath. But I think that that's like prime property for practicing being calm mm. when you're getting those kind of impulses. So, so, and maybe I, I might've just um, described the process, but like, how would you increase that uh, distance between, um, you know, we're holding the breath out and then getting the impulse to breathe. How do you extend that? Mm. So there's various practices you can do. Uh, one of them is called apnea walking. So I kind of think of it like I kind of model the free diver training. So the way that free divers train is they train a lot of times uh, either holding their breath with an exhale, mostly just because it's more efficient. Like you can get the same benefits with an inhale, but it just takes longer. You can reach a hypoxic effect with an exhale. So, I mean, there's apnea walking where you kind of walk, I don't know, for a Depends on the, how high your tolerance is, but 15 to 40 steps. And you're going to feel about a medium to strong air shortage. And you do about eight of those with about 30 seconds recovery. That's one way of doing it. Another that I've kind of been exploring and I've kind of been falling in love with it a lot is there's a device called an oximeter. And you put it in your finger and you have a, it's called a CO2 table. 
and you will essentially hold your breath for however long, like one minute, and you then recover for about a minute, and then you keep doing that with decreasing recovery time, and essentially you're going to increase your CO2 tolerance that way, and with the oximeter, you'll realize that your oxygen is actually still pretty much 98, 100%, but you feel like you need to breathe, and that need to breathe is CO2, but you're actually 100% fine. Your oxygen is fully saturated in your blood. Mm. <laughs> and I feel like people are going to hear about like that thing that you'd put in your finger and they are like, oh, I'm going to go out and get that. But like, the thing is, is like, in order to do this, you got you to gotta get in touch with your breath and you need to get in control of your breath. Like, What's a real basic breath exercise that you would recommend for somebody who just wants like... They're like, okay, I want the first step. I'm not going to just mm. jump to the to the big tests and all of that. Like something that they could do right now, yeah. As they're listening to this podcast, without yeah. having to buy anything. No, no, that's a great. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I think the biggest one is nose breathe. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. on your walks, on your runs, e- your easy runs, nose breathe. Naturally, you're going to increase your CO2 tolerance that way. And uh, cadence breathing, I mean, six seconds in, six seconds seconds out, or four seconds in, six seconds out. And when you meditate, kind of focus on increasing your inhales and exhales. And from that, you, you wire your neuromuscular system to kind of relax your breathing. Mm. Yeah, and we know that, we know that slower breathing, less breaths equals more well-being and longevity. Mm-hmm. Right, so people who are just starting in the sport or whatever their sport is, and they they want to do it, you know, for many years. BJ and I, who have crossed the threshold of fifty years old, which is insane, and we want to keep doing this. I want to feel yes. really good at seventy five and eighty and eighty five, and we know, like, all we have to do is look at turtles. Yes, I think they breathe like three times a minute. No way, that's so interesting. Right, they breathe like three times a minute, and they live forever. They live so long. Yes, and. Um, um, breath really is the the perfect tool. We are always doing it, um, and it's so so important. It's keeping us alive. Yes. And I saw you write something about like how you know, like we can go this many days without food or without water, but like breath being so important. It's the primary thing. Yeah, and if you, I think to reach the highest level of vitality, the breath that's the that's the gateway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And slowing down the breath, I just want to make this connection too, as people listening to this, this is coming from a very professional, uh, fast runner. So it's, even though you're slowing your breath down, you're working on managing that CO2 and the oxygen and you're practicing this, you're still running really, really fast. So it doesn't mean you need to slow everything down in your performance, right? Right. Exactly. So like these practices, uh, they're mainly like outside of like training in a way. I mean, a lot of times it's like when you're meditating or just daily life, when you're training, I mean, yes, nose breathe and control your breathing. But when you're racing, I mean, mouth breathe, like whatever you can do, you know, like I think at a certain threshold, like when you're anaerobic threshold, you're going to want to mouth breathe in a way because you want to maximize how much air you're getting in. Uh, But yeah, on any easy runs, just nose breathe. And last thing on this, because we, we want to get into your, your backstory too. Yeah. Uh, there was that book that came out, the the breath, breath I think it was Chase called Nestor. Yeah, yeah. About 
sleeping with your with tape over oh, your yeah. mouth, right? Have you have you done? <laughs> oh, that? I do that daily. <laughs> no, I love it. Honestly, when you breathe, yeah, it's such a good habit to have. I mean, some people find it weird, but I think it's life changing. That with a sleep mask, I mean, you. It's all about the little things, right? Every one percent adds up. Mouth tape is one of those little one percents, maybe a little bit lower. Actually, probably maybe high. Depends on the person. <laughs> yeah, I I learned you know nose breathing thirty years ago when I rolled out my yoga mat for the first time, and man, has it come in handy. You know, when I'm in a rush, when somebody cuts me off, when you know there's a line at the grocery store and I'm trying to get somewhere, and it's just these little meditative moments all over the place, and. The breathing through the nose as opposed to breathing through the mouth, it requires, I think, a little more attention. It naturally slows the breath down. And then also, like, I think it allows you just to get like a fuller, a fuller breath in and out. But those little moments when you can make that nose breathing like a pattern, it just, everything has more presence, I think. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, when I first started, I mean, I used to actually be a mouth breeder Mm -hmm. when I discovered all this. And I remember it took about a month of really concentrated practice to, number one, put my tongue up in the top of my palate. And I mean, it was a lot of my energy was going towards concentrating on that. So yeah, it definitely takes initially some time to get used to that feeling of closing your mouth and breathing. Yeah, but it's like... um you can do it right now, even as they're listening. They, go, I bet you, and I have, I have a feeling. I, I think this is a pretty capable uh, listenership, and I think they're pretty powerful. And yeah. I bet oh, yeah. I would say one hundred percent of them are breathing through their nose right now. Yeah, I, I could. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> and this this falls in line with the the yoga that we teach too, because it's mm. it's very um, it's a vinyasa flow. So you're moving the body, you're building an arc in the class, you're doing some some routine. So you're starting to build up that heart rate, right? Mm-hmm. But you can, can, you can do a whole class just breathing, just breathing through your nose mm. if you're allowed to self-regulate yourself. So I think that's mm. a, a, an element where people uh, butt up against the mindset, right? The ability to not always have to effort so hard, right? but they can sort of, okay, I can go through this class. I can breathe. I can take a uh, child's pose or something if I need to, and just kind of reset and come back. And I think it's a really powerful practice when you can shift awareness. And maybe you do this in races too. shift awareness away from something that's grabbing your attention, like you need to be doing, but instead coming back to right now mm-hmm. and feel that power of just this moment. Yes. Yes. It's the flow, the flow state. That's where the the magic happens, right? I mean, that's kind of what racing is. You want to be able to quiet the mind and be in the present moment. And I think of it like you're starting a channel. Like when I, when I think when I'm racing, I start channeling. I don't know how to describe it, but uh, I mean, on St. George, I had a vision of like a bull when I was biking. I don't know, <laughs> but I mean, that kind of like gave me energy. Uh, and I was just fully present in that moment. And I think that's where great performances happen is when you're fully in the flow and present. So that's not to say you weren't thinking about the riders that were in front of you or people that were maybe behind you. I mean, they were still in your awareness, but you're, you were shifting focus to that bowl or, or the, or the moment. Yes, is that right? exactly. Exactly. It's just a different state of consciousness. You can it's not like so much in the mind. It's kind of body and mind. Yeah. And being tough to explain is is beautiful because yeah. I always refer back to Michael Jordan 
um, and, and, you know, he'd score like 50 points or something. And someone would ask him like, how did you do that? And he has no idea how he did it. Exactly. Because that's where everything merged together. Language doesn't have words to describe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because experience is beyond the intellect. Mm-hmm. You know, how can you really, and we, and we find that when we come back from retreats and things like this, we're like, oh, we have such a hard time. Like, people, how was it? How was it? And it's like, words are just so difficult to explain, like just pure, sinking into pure experience. We actually had um, a woman, a, a dear friend of ours, Jennifer Volman on the show. She's a top age group triathlete. And um, she talks about how different, parts of the triathlon, she will embody like different animals. I have most certainly done that like in the final miles of like an ultra marathon yes. in the woods, just like becoming yes. a part of the power of, of nature, you know, and not being separate from it. And, um, I think like the, there's the vision, but there's also like the, what I would call like envisioning where you're actually feeling it, like you're mm-hmm. feeling the power of of the bull. And, you know, that's a technique that they talk about in the yoga sutures. I was just looking at it just the other day about using an object to like meditate on Mm -hmm. and engaging, engaging your mind in it. So let's say you're, you're looking at a bull or you're envisioning a bull, right? And then you're getting enamored with like the horns and like its coat and its eyes and its breath. And, and so you're engaging a hundred percent of the mind and using the tool which is the mind as opposed to the tool using you, right? Like, oh my God, like that guy just in the drafting and all (laughs) this drama that's going around and focusing externally. It's like we pull the focus internally and then we're in charge of where that mind's going. And I I think that's optimal ground for performance. Yes, optimal grounds for performance and for a beautiful life. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, And you're not waiting... You're not waiting for race day to practice this. Exactly. It's 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 just a constant. I mean, it's a lifestyle in a way, right? You you right. You want to always be practicing this. So if someone says, "Yeah, I like the breathing," I was like, "Yeah, it's cool. I did it for two days, and then you know it wasn't working for me anymore." Yeah. See, that's the thing about oxygen, like the pranayama, is one of those things that it takes time to kind of change the chemoreceptors in your brain to a higher baseline. It's not like, uh, I'm not sure if you guys have tr- uh, tried Wim Hof breathing where you get an instant, like, oh, wow, this works. The, see, the oxygen advantage, it takes time to, like, fully adapt your body. So, yeah, it's not like a two-day, three-day. I mean, it takes a couple months. But I feel like that's, that's such an enhancer for somebody who's interested in endurance sports, which is all about patience and, perse- oh, yeah. <laughs> and perseverance. Exactly. Um, yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about perseverance. Yes. Um, <laughs> what uh, what does that mean to you? Perseverance, mm. like how how have you embodied that in your life? Yeah, yeah, that word hits pretty pretty it hits home. So I think perseverance is. I mean, for example, in triathlon, there's many days where I mean, tra- training is just it's hard. You know, uh, life life gets hard. It's ups and downs. But when you have that vision in your mind of where you want to go, you keep moving forward. And I, I firmly believe that if you have that vision in your mind and you keep moving, at some point you're going to reach your destination. And I mean, there's, there could be some very rough waters, but if you keep the ship steady through those rough waters, you, you'll get there. And it's just persevering through it. Um, and some people don't persevere through it. I mean, it understandably, it can be very hard. <laughs> I think it's 100% guaranteed that there's going to be rough waters. Yeah. <laughs> because... 
those rough waters, the way I look at them is those rough waters allow me to, to overcome what's holding me back from the vision that I have. So I have to hit those storms. And if I persevere through the storms in a calm state, um, those things that have the limitations that have held me back in the past. And I'm not just saying me, I believe this for everyone. And I've seen it so many times to doubt it ever that those limitations fall away. And I emerge from the storm, a closer match to that vision. Like we have to match the vision yes. vibrationally. 100%. Yes, those rough waters I think are necessary for you to grow. Uh, like when I was telling one of my, so I have a, like have a mindset coach and I tell her about like my doubts and she's like, don't think of the doubts as a negative thing. Think of them as a way for you to grow. Like these doubts come, but use them as a way to like, okay, I recognize this doubt. How can I overcome this doubt? <laughs> doubt. Yeah. Our, our teacher calls doubt a mind virus. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, that just makes me want to stay like, just overcome all doubts, you know, like nullify doubts because that's where like, you've got the vision, you know, the storm comes, then you got everybody, you know, like the masses, which, you know, our world neat leans to the negative and yes. then you get the doubt and it's like, that really can infect like your whole experience. And like we were talking before we hit record, like not stay the course, you know, and just kind of go back and stay safe. But the thing about quote unquote, staying safe is like, I don't believe that you can escape what you came here to learn. Mm. I don't know how you feel about that statement. Yeah. I mean, could you, could you like elaborate a little further on how can you can't escape what? Like, I think that we, so this is a little maybe esoteric for some people, but like I believe we there's a whole journey that happens. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we drop into these bodies, and we come here to this earth because we're here to grow and we're here to learn, mm-hmm. and we are intelligent beings. And so we orchestrate life in a way where we will need to face those things that have held us back, mm. so that we will learn the things that we came here to learn, so mm. that we can continue to move towards that bigger vision, so that we can step into the expansion of who we truly are. And I. Don't don't think that I think if we say no to one thing that looks a little scary and think that, oh, well, I'm going to be free and clear now is not, that's not a helpful way to think because you're going to learn no matter what, no matter what decision you make, there's an inherent wisdom that will be taught to Mm, us. Right. And I think that we came here for big things Yes, and we came here to overcome and we came here to learn things. And I don't think that we can make a choice that's going to prevent us from learning what we need to learn. Does that make sense? Yes. No, that make, makes sense. Yeah. Those lessons will come in one way or another. Yeah. That's <laughs> it'll, it. It'll come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's, um, now that we've taken it way off the uh, plane of physical awareness. <laughs> no, no, I love it. Uh, I love let's, it. <laughs> let's bring it in a little bit and talk about um, your beginnings in sport. Like, yeah. were you active as a child or? Yeah. So I started swimming when I was eight years old um, and then. Yeah, I think, I mean, I trained quite a bit. Uh, I think it was around 12 years old when I realized the power of hard work. And I mean, with hard work, you can achieve your goals. And uh, yeah, I mean, 12, I think it was 13 when we started doing morning, afternoon practices. I mean, as a swimmer, you're, you're putting like a lot of time in the water. So I really learned the power of discipline. And I mean, I attribute a lot of my success now to my time as a 
as a teenager and child in the water. And yeah, it's just so powerful. I, I really feel it's so powerful to be able to push your limits in that sense. And then um, from swimming, didn't you move, you moved into running. What was that transition? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's actually very interesting. So I learned another lesson of the power of the mind back then. So I think I was around 14 when, no, I was 15 when it felt like I forgot my stroke. I don't know how to describe it, but I got in my head. I was like, I don't know, my, the stroke feels weird. And then I started changing little things. And all of a sudden, my stroke was actually different. And I, I feel like I manifested it. Like I just like kept thinking, like, man, my stroke feels so bad. My stroke feels horrible. And for a whole year, <laughs> I'm serious. I don't know how. To, and when I tell people, they're like, Dad, I don't know. But I seriously like changed my stroke. And for a whole year, I struggled in the water quite a bit to uh, to stay with my teammates. And I attribute a lot of my fitness actually to those days because I had to really work hard to stay with the group because uh, my technique, I was fighting the water. Um, but yeah, after a year, I remember the date was when I didn't qualify for the CIF championships here. And I, at that moment, I was like, my mom picked me up from school and I'm like, mom, I'm done. Like, and she's like, are you sure? Like, and I'm like, I'm sure. Like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for my next step. And I, I loved running at that time. And I took one week to kind of just get some clarity and then I started running. And that summer, I joined the cross-country team, and I fell in love with running. Like, just that act of being with your teammates and just running as a pack, laughing, enjoying the moment, I fell in love with that. And some of my best moments in high school were with my cross-country team. Well, it's a different dynamic, too, because in the pool, your your rest time is short, and you can't really talk when you're... When you're actually swimming, right? Yeah. There's no chatter time. But when you run, you, you, can, you can do a lot of training, have conversations, yeah. build that strong community. In that week, you took reflection. Where the, is, did you have any um, peers that you looked up to or people that would um, provide guidance or support in, in your reflection time? Or was it purely just you going in? I just went fully into it. Yeah, I fully went into it. Um, and that summer, I did a lot of triathlon training, actually. I had my bike, and I, I biked a lot while training uh, with the cross-country team. But it was kind of just my own decision. I didn't really have any any people. If I remember, I mean, I don't, if, I don't think I had anyone kind of guiding me in that sense. It was just my own, my own heart. I watched one video you were uh, interviewed, and you talked about... Um maybe having a little bit of a, I wasn't quite finished with swimming at that moment. Like you said, there was something that in the mind that said, oh, I still have a little bit more here. Although you continued to do the running, there was just something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I rediscovered swimming when I, I think once I got, realized the power of the mind and I realized that, no, I can actually be great at swimming. Cause for me, swimming was always a love of mine. Like I loved swimming when I was a child. I remember being in school, like excited to go to practice. Like I can't wait to push my limits. And when I struggled a lot in the water, I lost that love, but I still craved the feeling of being strong in the water. And once I actually, I'm like, Oh wait, no, I actually am strong in the water again. That love came back. Cause I, I craved that feeling. And a lot of times I, in college, I had a lot of dreams of like being back with my swim team and, being good and like 
in cross country having another chance at cross country because I got injured and on my senior year and I had a lot of dreams of having another chance to reach my highest potential because in college I felt like I never reached my potential. I, I, I was studying, but I never really went full in into my passion of sport. <laughs> and is that why you're all full in? Yeah, that's now? why I'm all full in now. <laughs> it, it was very gradual and now I'm all in. I'm all in now. But that's, it, sometimes it takes that. It takes that. Um, and you were studying, like you had career, uh, career focus. And yes. I need to educate myself and, and, and have this life. And, and some things have to shift. You know, we can't do all things all, well all the time. Uh, yes. It's, just not, it's a, not a good recipe. Mm-hmm. But that contrast does create the desire and continues to build that perseverance that you have now. Yes. Like this is, this is what I really connect with. Like, do you, how do you feel about triathlon now? Like what is your relationship with the sport of triathlon? That's a good question. It's a love and a passion. And for me, it's kind of a curiosity because <laughs> I feel like I'm barely even just touching my potential. And for me, it's a curiosity of, how far can I take it? Like, how far can I go? And for me, I mean, like, we talk about our, like, what's the term? I mean, our life's purpose in a way. I I do feel like my life purpose is in the industry of health and fitness. And that's, we talked about earlier, the zone of genius. I feel like my zone of genius is in health and fitness. I mean, I've been doing this since I was eight years old and I love it. And I do feel like this is where my my gift is this, and I want to service humanity with it. That's that's a lesson I've learned in the past years. Is this is my gift, and I need to make my leap in, to be in it. And what's what's really great about it is, is you're using the gift on yourself in order to be in service of others through your coaching. Exactly. So you, you understand you need to make yourself mm-hmm. the keep pursuing that make yourself the best you can be in order for you to provide that service for for others ultimately yeah you have to be able to experience it yourself right <laughs> like it's there's experience is the number one teacher so i'm experiencing it myself so that i can then show it and teach it to others <laughs> what's your relationship with failure that's a good question uh i failed many times in the past and i think failure is necessary like failure is one of the greatest teachers. I think, I mean, there's been so many failures. I mean, swimming, um, tests, uh, work. I feel like I failed many times. Boulder, I, I mean, at Boulder, I, I came in with uh, wanting to live full time at Boulder and make my life out there. And ultimately, I, I kind of failed. I had to come back and uh, live with my parents. And I, I kind of viewed that as a failure, but it wasn't in a positive way, I, I knew I needed to take, like, experience that. Mm-hmm. And failure, I don't think it's a negative thing. Failure is a positive thing because then you grow from it. It's in <laughs> your mindset. It's how can you, when you feel like you're at in the valley, you know, like how can you persevere through it and then use it to your advantage? You know, that's what the yogis teach us. And they've been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. Is like use everything to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, the joys and the challenges, the failures, the moments of fear, all of that. And um, and speaking of moments of fear, 
Um, so you have gone all in. Yes. You turned professional this year. Yes. And um, you quit. You had a full time job. Yes. With like that regular paycheck. <laughs> mm-hmm. And security. yeah, your secure your security as we as a. Uh, is that, um, you know, we fall into that a lot. Um, we did as well. Uh, it's hard to walk away from, Mm -hmm. but what was the, like, what was the point where you said like, that's it. I gotta go. I gotta, I gotta leap. Yeah. I mean that, that process has been months. I mean, in work, I, many times at work, I had that in my mind, like when is the right time? When is the right time? Cause I, I knew at work, this is, this is not my, this is not me. This is not who I want to be. But I had like that security, you know, and like, okay, when is the right time I can make that leap? And at a certain point, I'm like, it's time. Uh, I think it was after Oceanside where I'm like, it's time. I'm just going to do it. And I gave them about a month and a half notice, actually, a pretty good notice. And I was like, I'm after You're the- like, oh, another five <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I gave them exactly that. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I gave them that time and yeah, just went all in. <laughs> and how does it feel? How does it feel to be both feet into your dream? Yes, it's a fire inside because now it's like it's you burn the boats, right? So now it's like you got to go for it. <laughs> but it's also like I'm doing what I love. So it's invigorating. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we talked about earlier. Yeah, there's fears. There's that financial fear. I think that's my biggest fear. But I mean, you you have to live your you have to be in it. It's a disservice to not be in your passion and your son of genius. Like humanity needs people in their son of geniuses. <laughs> That's an amazing statement. Yeah. I love that. And I, and I hope it feels empowering for people. So let's say somebody's listening to this and they're thinking like, I want to know what my genius is. What's my gift? Like how do they begin to unearth that for mm. themselves? That's a good question. Man, that's a tough one. I think what you love like what you truly love. For me, it's like after work, what do you like to do? Like not, not TV or video games, like what interests you? What curiosity do you, what do you like to study in your pastimes? And yeah, stuff like that. And start working towards it little by little, just keep working on it. And eventually you reach a mastery at it. Like, what do you want to be a master at? That's ultimately what I kind of think of it. Like if you could master anything in life, what do you want to master? Mm, the mind that should be <laughs> a unanimous a decision yeah Please, that's the true. mind of course i want to master yeah. the mind when you master the mind you master <laughs> anything exactly. you can master anything and i think it starts with the breath you know there's a, a little recipe that um i believe fully in because i've experienced it and i live it cuz you know i i i think it's really important to uh to walk the talk is if you can control the breath mm-hmm. you know that slows us down you then step into this ability to control the thought because Mm. in that slowing down, I can now see all of this commentary that's happening. Mm -hmm. And if I can control the thought, then I can control the mind. Yes, exactly. So I think we we can just start with this perfect tool of breath. And if we just remain steadfast in it and continue to take whatever that next step is or whatever that, you know, next level is with it, like you're going to, you're going to walk your way. You're going to breathe your way right into mastery. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And being aware of those thoughts, like ultimately, like not just controlling, but just being aware of it because a lot of times you can't really control your thoughts, right? There's thoughts will come and go throughout your mind, just being aware of them and being like, 
do I want to think this or? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like giving it, not giving it control to run your life, but, be, but control in the sense of like, wow, I'm like going down this whole road right now with all this like looping, all this neural mm-hmm. looping about fear. I can interrupt that. I can be in control of that. I can just take a breath. I can come right back to this moment and see then how I can begin to lean into something that feels a little bit more aligned with what I want to experience. Right. Exactly. Um, let's talk, can we talk a little bit about your race in St. George? Yes, of course. Yeah. So you, um, you had said like it was, it was a nice breakthrough for you. So what, uh, what are some takeaways from that race? Yeah. Oh man. Some takeaways. I feel like I reached another level in that race. I never, after Oceanside, I felt like I wasn't very happy with that performance. I mean, it's all perspective, right? A lot of people are like, oh no, that was good. But ultimately, it didn't feel like I was out there competing. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was just, it was like, by myself. I was on the bike by myself the whole time. In St. George, I was able to see my competitors on the bike. And ultimately, it felt like I was in the race. And then being on the run and being able to pass people and having my teammate Justin Reale saying like, hey, you're close to top 10. Like, you're close to that paycheck. It felt so real at that time. Like, oh man, I, I could actually make a first paycheck in this. And... Yeah, it just felt so so real at that moment. Like this is pos- this is real. Like I can actually make it. And Oceanside was your first pro race, right? Yes. Yes. So do you feel like there was a little bit of like you know like just collecting information? You know, like yeah, you were alone on the bike, but it's like your first pro race. Um, it and I'm assuming from what we've heard from others that you know have jumped into the. So the pro field, it's like, there's a huge gap between the age group and the pro field. A lot of people do their math and they go, oh, well, if I was pro, I'd be like 13th. That's pretty good. Maybe I'll just be pro. (laughs) But there's actually a huge jump, like just in the experience and what you need to put out in order to be even in the game. Oh yeah, exactly. I think the biggest lesson was in the swim. Like, like I, I was surprised at just how hard they were pushing the whole time. I mean, in the age group, I mean, you push hard for the first 400, 500 yards and you kind of set, I mean, that's what I experienced when I was in, where I would kind of sprint out and settle into my pace. But at Oceanside, I was pushing hard pretty much the whole race until I started building up with a lot of lactate. And I'm like, man, I, I'm gassing out here. And I've never had that experience where the swim felt really hard. And that was like a huge change for me in the pro field was, man, swimming is this is tough. Yeah, that's what we've heard too. Like yeah. that, just like the what you need to put out on the swim to eat to like be in the game. You know, after the first discipline is is such a huge up level. Um, what did you take from that, and did you apply it in St. George? Mm. So after Oceanside, my, I told my coach like I, I need more sprint speed, like for that first four hundred, so I don't gas myself out. So we did a lot of VO2 max work, so a lot of fast 50s, fast 100s, uh, just improving my speed. And ultimately, that's still what I'm working on right now is getting my speed. Because I have that endurance, I have that aerobic capacity in the water, but for me, it's that speed. So just a lot of uh, just sprint work and just feeling the water. In short rest? Uh, short rest, too. VO2? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like 25, I, like, I think on Friday I did 25s with five-second rest. But like twenty five max stuff like that. <laughs> How many? Uh, not too. I, like eight, eight by twenty fives, five seconds, and then two by two hundreds, and then I did that three rounds. So it's just like a little primer. 
it, but yeah, I mean, so you, so going up the VO two max, you got to have, you got to be, um, you got to be able to, uh, have a relationship with that loss of breath. Mm. The, 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 like pan, the moment, I would say most age groupers get to that point of panic and they stop, right? They can't, they can't get the breath in, but five seconds is enough to kind of touch the wall, take a breath, mm-hmm. reset, and then go again and not give it too much thought. Exactly. Exactly. And you can, you can, the more you do it, the more you adapt to be able to, cause I mean, a lot of times that, yeah, five seconds is really short to be able to fully recover, but yeah, you adapt to that hypoxic. I mean, that's what swimming is, is being able to be more hypoxic. I mean, a lot of people say like, oh, I don't see how swimming can help with triathlon, but swimming, I think is one of the best ways to increase your aerobic capacity. And it's the only sport as far as I know, other than like the, um, court synchronized swimming where you're training in under hypoxia. And that's so powerful. I mean, being in a hypoxic condition, you can really increase your, I mean, it's part of oxygen advantage. I mean, you can really train that uh, CO2 tolerance. Well, I think an element that gets, gets people caught up too, or gets athletes caught up is that being in that unfamiliar environment. So you're a professional athlete, Mm -hmm. you're swimming a lot. I would say you're probably swimming five or six times a week, probably an hour or two. I think by now I will start swimming that, but during when I was working full time, I mean, I was swimming probably three to four times. My coach was, I was putting around 10 to 15 K. So, I mean, I wasn't putting a lot of yardage for, for the mount, but it was very quality work. So, so that's three or four touches of the water in an environment that you're not really in that often. If you look at a week span, so mm. typical age groupers getting three hours, four hours in the pool mm-hmm. in a week that, that is basically you're on land. So I think the element of being in that unfamiliar environment adds to the panic. Yes. Of the hype. So yeah, we can control our breath, but I believe the environment is stronger than our, our will sometimes. Yes. It's such a powerful experience being in that water. I mean, it's being comfortable and uncomfortable. That's what swimming kind of lends is... It's a different world. Once you enter that water, you're you're not you're in a whole different world. And then you take it to open water. Yeah. Oh yeah. In open water, then you start thinking about <laughs> sharks and <laughs> so many other factors. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get? Are you swimming out here? In, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually went to a moonlight this morning with the uh, one with the ocean group. Oh yeah. 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 Super fun. How was that? It was awesome. And actually, it was the first time where. I mean, I don't recommend this, but I swam by myself after. So they all went in, but I had a long 4K, so I just kept swimming. And that was so beautiful to just be out there swimming. I was just swimming back and forth parallel, just alone in the ocean. And that was a beautiful experience. <laughs> um, since you mentioned sharks and stuff and unknown stuff in the water, uh, has it always been comfortable for you to get in open water? Mm. Yes. I mean, I, I moved from Mexico to here in San Diego when I was six. So, I mean, I spent so much of my time in the ocean. I mean, as a teenager, just playing in the water with my friends. For me, ocean is like my playground. I love the ocean. I'm, I'm so used to it. Um, but I can see why it can be so daunting. I mean, it's you're so vulnerable. I mean, I still feel it too when I'm out in the ocean, especially in a choppy day. You're like, man, I'm so vulnerable out here. And that's a beautiful feeling too. Like, wow, Mother Nature is powerful, and you have to respect Mother Nature. <laughs> so powerful. We were just in Costa Rica for a retreat, and I went down to the the water. This amazing, amazing beach there. But for one day, these the current was like super, super strong. 
but my mindset going in was just, I'm just going to, you know, just move with it. I'm not going to fight against it. I didn't swim that much, but just feeling the power, but handing myself over to it was empowering. Yes. Surrendering. Surrender. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I love that. Um, well, since we talked about, do you want to talk any more about swimming? I want to, I want to hear, since we're getting into your training, like what's yeah. a day, what's a day like, like take us through mm. like your mornings, like what is your, do you have a meditation practice and, uh, your breathing practice and how does that flow throughout your day of training and, and, and yeah. what was work? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So for example, let's say I have a swim practice in the morning. I mean, I wake up in the morning, usually it's around six thirty to six o'clock. I don't use alarm clocks. Um, I feel like I just kind of wake up naturally around that time. I don't like waking up with something like a jolt, just waking up naturally. I wake up usually, I try to wait at least an hour before coffee. Uh, Andrew Hooverman said that <laughs> it's better to wait about an hour uh, to, to clear the adenosine receptor, well, adenosine from the body. Um, and then, yeah, if I have a swim practice, I drive over to the YMCA and I like to get a little bit of breath work. So what I do is I have my oximeter and I have my CO2 tables and for at least 15 minutes, I just do some breath holds in the car. Um, and I also think of it like a meditation. I mean, I think it's an efficient way to meditate because a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to sit and sit for 15 minutes. Well, you can sit and practice breath work and meditate and you're kind of doing something. You're optimizing your breath work in that way. So I think of that as like my meditation in the morning. And then, yeah, I get in the pool, do my session. And then, I mean, this is my first week, like, I guess last week was my, but I mean, I'm very new to like training without my full-time job, but since most of my experiences with the full-time job is I would go get some food, usually Lazy Acres, get some burritos, and then, yeah, go straight to work, work, come back, and then do a bike or run session. So it was mainly just uh, training and work and sleep. A lot of sacrifices had to be made. <laughs> what kind of sacrifices come to mind for you? The biggest one, I think, is kind of a social social life, but the traditional social life where, I mean, coworkers would invite me to get drinks after work or stuff like that, <laughs> which for me never enticed me. I mean, I don't, I don't really drink. Um, but yeah, stuff like that um, is what comes to mind. Is, but for me, the social life is training. Stuff like this um, is my social life. And then how do you wind down your night? So you've done the bike ride, your heart rate's elevated now, and you have some food recovery. How do you, how do you take that time to prepare yourself for sleep? Yeah. So I have a couple, couple ways. So I always like to listen to like inspirational videos beforehand the night. Cause I do feel like what you put into your mind right before sleep is one of the most powerful things. So inspirational videos, I always listen to affirmations while I sleep. So whether it be like confidence affirmations or athlete affirmations, I sleep with them kind of in a low volume. And I try to do at least 10 minute meditation before I sleep. And I use a red light, um, not like the infrared light, but I just have like a bulb in my um, lamp that's red to minimize any blue light. And I just have that on and I kind of start to drift off in that way because any blue light will kind of stimulate your cortisol Okay. Yeah. Okay. Red light bulbs. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. Red light bulbs. We have two lamps in our entire house. Um, So yeah, I'm going to check that out. Yeah. It's huge. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, um, well, first of all, I just want to say, yeah, what you feed into your mind, like Mm -hmm. into your awareness before you go to sleep is so important. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've, I've lived like the checking the bank account 
or fighting with my husband before bed. <laughs> like it's terrible. It's not a good way to end the night. <laughs> and you know what I've been taught is like it, whatever is in our awareness will ruminate in our subconscious like four to six hours. And yes. so I like to do a practice, not that anybody's asking, but I, I think this is a really powerful practice called clearing your day mm. where you just begin like, and you just go through it in your mind like you're reading a grocery list. So not emotional, very neutral. Yeah. And you just, you know, from the moment you woke up right up until that moment where you're lying in bed Mm -hmm. and it just kind of clears the subconscious and sends this message that says like, okay, we don't need to rehash this stuff. We've already done it. So it's like, I woke up, I took the dog out, I had a cup of coffee after an hour or after five minutes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Exactly. You know, I went to the pool, blah, 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 all that stuff. And you just bring yourself up and it just, you're kind of like, okay, good. Now I'm in this moment and I'm going to fall off into a restful sleep. Yeah, Um, that's powerful. Yeah, I like the clear the day technique. I want to talk a little bit about the power of community because you're you're in a huge team, um, Everyman Jack. Yes. uh, The EMJ team. And they, you know, at first I don't think they had a pro team, but now you've, now you guys are so We have a lot of pros. Everybody's turning professional. Um, (laughs) And that's a, that's been growing over these last few years, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about the EMJ. MJ community. I mean, we're always cheering them on out there. They're just, yeah. You guys are amazing. Um, and uh, we'd love to hear a little bit more about it. Yeah. So being in the MJ just has been so inspirational. I mean, just meeting all the, all the, all the guys in the team. I mean, so many of them, they have very high like careers and families and the amount of things that they do alongside triathlon is truly inspiring. And just seeing seeing how much they can say they can do really inspires me. Um, yeah. <laughs> and do you guys have like for events and uh, races and things like that? Are there like get-togethers and you guys are all supporting each other? Yeah. There was a training camp. And did you go to that in Vegas? Was it in Vegas? Yeah, yeah. Training camp. That's when we all kind of just get together and meet each other. And yeah, it's a really powerful experience where we all just. I mean, it's brilliantly when we all get to see each other. There's no, there's no other point in the year. Um, but yeah, it's really beautiful to just see each other, see each other and um, kind of grow together and see how much we've grown over the past year. We always have like kind of our, um, our speeches and we introduce each other and you can kind of see what everyone has accomplished. And it really is kind of just amazing how much you can balance in life. So it's not completely a hammer fest to see who can take the other. Just EMG on the bike. <laughs> Just on the on the bike, it's always a hammer fest. That everyone always likes to hammer. That. Who's gonna get dropped? <laughs> yeah, it really it's it's cr- kind of crazy just how the bike is. <laughs> how long have you been a part of the team? Uh, this is my second year now, so about a year and six months, I think now. Um, but yeah, it's it's been amazing. It's been really awesome. Yeah, we love see like Jess mentioned, we love seeing them. I mean, I just see the AMGA train like coming through um, at all these races. I've been racing a lot lately, and I, I just see the blue, you know, fly by. Um, I can't hang on, but uh, <laughs> it's fun to watch them 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 go by. But it is a a, a bigger. It's a bigger thing than just what they do on uh, in in the sport. Like yes. you mentioned, I think it it, it affords. Uh, uh, High achievers, yes. <laughs> the, the opportunity to to showcase that you can have it all. You can be um, very successful in your career and in, in family, and you can also do it in sport. Like exactly. it is possible. Yeah, it shows that there's there's really no limits. You can't you don't limit yourself. And uh, Rich, the guy who is the head of the team, he's always like family comes first, 
and it's it's so true like you want to put your community first and i mean that's such a like not to have triathlon overcome your life it's a i mean depending on varying degrees but always you want to have your community and family first yeah i like that i I don't think that's that's portrayed enough yeah because it's just like i said we see these emj people come by and they're just so fast and so strong but there's there's more to it exactly there's more to it um you did a post this is so good um (laughs) at the end of december um you were laying this is a quote from uh isaac's instagram laying down the first long ride 2023 season this season is a big focus will be on optimizing the mindset yes (laughs) to fully go into the subconscious and pull out whatever limiting beliefs are holding me back. So, what are those beliefs I, that mm. you can pinpoint um, yes. that may be still lingering um, around that you need to work through in order to grow, as we chatted about? Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's various. I think the first one was when I went professional. Is like, am I good enough? I mean, there's always that imposter syndrome where it's like, oh man, like, can I actually compete with them? And I mean, I worked with my mindset coach a lot and you have to like kind of look back at the cookie jars, David Coggins talks and being like, how much work have you actually put in? We forget how much work we've all done. And that's been a huge practice of mine is like, you've been working since eight years old. So like, think about that and like realize you can, you can compete at the highest level uh, and you, you deserve to be here. That's been a huge one for me is like belief that I can't compete. Mm, Yeah. I love that. Uh, I remember a friend of ours, big high achiever, and she wrote a book and I remember saying to her like, how, how did you do that? How did you write the book when you have a young son and this like career that she's just so committed to and a husband and then she's like at every charity event and collecting donations and just always doing so much for other people. How did she write a book? And she said, every, you know, we get up in the morning and if I had 10 minutes or five minutes or 15 minutes or an hour, she's like, and I would record it. So when I would think like, oh, I'm never going to get this done or I should be further along. She was like, I would look at that and I would see how much time I had already put into it. And it made her realize like, you know, it's about like, all those little things adding up over time. And it doesn't matter that how long it took her to write the book. It was that every day, if she even had five minutes or some days she had an hour and a half or some days she, you know, would wake up at two in the morning and just start writing that it all adds up and it all counts. And so like from eight years old, like you've been putting in the time. Yeah. And we forget about that. It's the consistency. That's the name of the game. Uh, There's the term of the, um, compound effect. I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of the compound effect where essentially whenever you start something new, there's a phase when you don't see any growth. It's kind of a flat line, but at a certain point, it's an exponential growth. And a lot of times when you feel that plateau, you're like, I'm not getting any better. You can be discouraged and not continue on. But if you just keep moving forward and you're consistent, you're going to reach that exponential growth. We are not seeing the evidence. <laughs> You're not seeing the physical evidence. Exactly. First, but you are putting in. You're putting in the foundations. You're like investing in exactly. yourself. Exactly. You're yeah. putting in the seeds. Yeah, I love that. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Wrap it up. Yeah, with the, I want the vision. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac, what is the vision yes. for, 
for um, well, not only for you uh, as as a professional athlete, but also for uh, your business, Run for Prana. Yeah, no, no, I loved it. So for me, what I've seen is I want to be a world class endurance coach. That's kind of what I've been. The affirmation I've been putting down for myself is a world class endurance coach, but blending breath work with endurance sports. So I'm getting another certification coming up for to lead breath work classes, and I want to blend that with endurance sports. Um, and yeah, coach athletes with that. And of course, experiencing endurance sports through professional triathlon to learn, to learn more in a way. But yeah, I mean, endurance coach with breath work is my ultimate way that I want to give back to the world. <laughs> I love that world class. Yeah, world-class. you got to reach for the stars, right? Yeah. I mean, why would you, as, as our, our teacher will tell us, he's like, why would you go for middle management? Like, go run the company, you know? Like, always go for the top. Um, I love that. That's beautiful. And uh, and how does it feel to put that out there? What does that feel like? At first, it was a little scary, but I, I put that down since Boulder. I remember I wrote that down on my post-it note on the wall in Boulder, world-class endurance sports coach. And I've been seeing that and affirming that for quite a long time now. So now it just feels like just keep moving forward and doing it. Yep. Um, and I'm affirming to myself and I, I feel it. I feel it deep within. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. This has been such yeah, a great no, conversation. You. Loved having you here and just getting to know you. Like we run into you at the pool or we'll see you after races. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little bit of small talk, but I think that's the beauty of this medium. Like we just get to sit down on a Sunday afternoon and have this really meaningful conversation that um, I can speak for the three of us saying that we hope that it, it benefits the masses and that it trickles down to, you know, those who listen and they share it with others. So um, yeah, thank you so much. Yes. And I think the last time I saw you was in the pool and you were with Chelsea. Yeah. Side by side. <laughs> yeah. So this this greatness around you, EMJ, this your coach, the tin men that you were like Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a thread where you're with greatness, so that must mean that you're going to be. Yeah. Or are like the people you surround yourself with is yeah. so important. Yeah. Well, thank you, Isaac. <laughs> well so thank much. you. I really appreciate it. 